The pages of the Bible reveal the various ways that God communicates with us. There are physical manifestations such as burning bushes, angels, the words of inspired prophets, and of course, the coming to earth of God's Son, Jesus. But one of the most peculiar methods of understanding God's intentions is found in the Old Testament practice of interpreting the priceless stones that were embedded in the breastplate of the high priest. And one of those ancient stones from the high priest's breastplate is reportedly still in existence, resting in a secure bank vault in South Africa. Well, it's an intriguing thought that such an item could be exported back to Israel after all these centuries. And what would this mean as a prophetic sign? What exactly does the Bible tell us about receiving divine guidance from the precious stones of the priestly breastplate? The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. Bible prophecy buffs are admittedly intrigued by frequent claims of the supposed discovery of the ancient Ark of the Covenant, that piece of holy furniture that once was the centerpiece of the Holy of Holies in God's tabernacle and later in Jerusalem's temple. Meanwhile, it's hard to keep pace with all of the actual archeological discoveries being made in Israel and in the ancient city of David in Jerusalem. While the original Ark of the Covenant hasn't surfaced, one of the most exciting discoveries in Jerusalem's city of David was a tiny golden bell that most likely adorned the garment of the high priest. And the little bell still rings. You can hear its sound at the City of David website. Recently, the website Breaking Israel News reported the incredible story of some experts who have agreed that a small onyx gemstone could have come from the ancient breastplate of the Jewish high priest. One of the functions of the stones in that breastplate was to receive divine guidance from God. The present owner of the mysterious stone claims it was given to a member of the Knights Templar a Catholic military order closely tied to the Crusades over a thousand years ago. Reportedly, the priceless stone was subsequently handed down through one family from generation to generation, and currently it's believed to be secured in a vault in South Africa. In addition to the 12 different colored gemstones representing the 12 tribes of Israel that were mounted on the central piece of the breastplate, the Bible also specified two additional stones to be fixed in gold settings placed on the shoulders of the high priest. According to Exodus 28, God instructed that two additional onyx stones were to be affixed upon the shoulder pieces of the priestly garment to be memorial stones of the children of Israel, engraved with the tribal names, six tribes on each shoulder. 
so that Aaron the high priest should bear their names before God upon his shoulders. And when God saw the names, he would remember to be merciful to his people. The fact that a stone from the breastplate mentioned in the Bible could have surfaced is yet another glimmer from Israel's past that's so intriguing. And most of all, such discoveries remind the world that the Jewish people didn't just arrive here recently, but that their ties to the Holy Land go a long way back to the Bible itself. Most intriguing is speculation that this mysterious stone could have the power of prophecy. It just might eventually play an important role in identifying the priestly caste that will serve in the yet-to-be-rebuilt Third Temple in Jerusalem. Now, hang on for a minute. This can quickly get into the realm of something sounding like the occult. You may ask, how can a mere stone contain prophetic powers? At first, the suggestion might seem to smack of the occult, because for millennia, superstitious legends have been associated with various gemstones and their colors. In ancient times, people used to believe that certain jewels had curative properties or the power to bring success and all sorts of prosperity. For example, it was supposed that if persons only carried an agate stone, they would be sure to win victory over their enemies. So the agate was considered the conqueror's jewel. But we're not even talking about New Age stuff like crystals and pyramid power and so forth. The sacred stones on the priestly breastplate were somehow used for divine guidance and prophecy. And the priestly breastplate was also symbolic of the powers belonging to our risen intercessory high priest, King Jesus. Much discernment and spiritual maturity is required when discussing these matters. Israel's first monarch, King Saul, made the fatal mistake of disobeying God by seeking guidance from a witch. God's word expressly forbids trafficking in the occult. The reason why Saul backslid into the dark arts is because he was no longer hearing from God. As a matter of fact, 1 Samuel 28, 6 records that when Saul inquired of God, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by the prophets, nor by the Urim, a Hebrew word which generally means lights. In fact, the so-called Urim Vetumen was the famed oracle-like aspect of the priestly breastplate of judgment by which a heavenly answer was received concerning important questions. Now, according to various Bible commentaries, the object of the high priest was to gain insight on some difficult matter or arrive at the truth concerning a subject that he could not decide otherwise. And also, the breastplate was used to give a righteous judgment in cases in which normal judicial human wisdom was insufficient. For these reasons, the gems are called in Hebrew Urim Vetumen, also rendered in English as meaning lights and perfections. So, unless God sent a messenger angel to a person, in the days of the Hebrew scriptures, there were only three basic forms of divine guidance available. God might speak through the dreams, 
through the words and admonitions of prophets, and also through the Urim, lights, associated with the breastplate of the high priest. By the way, most Bible scholars admit that the Hebrew words Urim Vetumen defy a full translation. Twice in the Hebrew Bible, in the book of Numbers and also in 1 Samuel, the Urim are mentioned without the Tumen. But these two verses make it clear that by means of the Urim or by means of lights in the breastplate of the high priest, the counsel, the judgments and prophetic guidance of God were revealed. Now in three other passages in Deuteronomy and the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, Urim and Tumen are mentioned together. Urim is also translated as fires in various verses in the prophecies of Isaiah and Ezekiel. So it's no wonder that in the New Testament, in Revelation chapter 1, our high priest Jesus stood in the midst of seven golden candlesticks and his eyes were described like searching, blazing fires. This is because the lights and perfections of God search into the ways of Israel and the churches. That's why the priest of the Most High could say to the churches, I know your works. Well, the collection of Jewish law and tradition called the Talmud states that questions were put to God on the breastplate and the stones would light up to give an answer. On a recent visit to biblical Samaria, a Levitical priest amongst the Samaritan sect explained to us that the breastplate was something like a divine computer. He claimed the way the Urim Vetumim worked may have had something to do with the electrical impulses emanating from the high priest's heart. And God simply employed those electrical impulses to light up the stones on the breastplate. That's one theory. In Jerusalem, the Temple Institute's website has another intriguing interpretation, claiming that, according to most authoritative opinions, the expression Urim Vetumim actually refers not to the breastplate itself, but to the mystical divine name of God. The sacred name was written, they say, on a piece of parchment and inserted into the folds of the priestly garment. According to the Temple Institute's interpretation, the presence of the divine name facilitated divine guidance through the shining of specific letters on the various stones. And when Jerusalem was sacked by the Babylonians, according to the Talmud, the Urim Vetumim were lost. Now let's fast forward to modern times and the Breaking Israel News article mentioned a noted professor in religious studies and archaeology, Dr. Jane Strange, who traveled to South Africa to study the mysterious semi-precious stone with an inscription visible inside the clear surface. Visible seemed to be two letters purportedly in ancient Hebrew. A gemologist confirmed that the stone had not been cut open to make the inscriptions. The chief curator at Jerusalem's Bible Lands Museum also reportedly examined the stone and concluded that it's a unique, priceless object. The curator noted that the inscription is in the shape of a possible letter, an archaic Hebrew letter bet. 
And in a notarized report, the curator observed next to the letter bet, an image of a wolf. Interesting because bet could stand for Benjamin and the wolf corresponds to the blessing that Jacob gave to his son Benjamin in Genesis 49:27. And to this day in Israel and on roadside signs, a wolf remains the emblem of the tribe of Benjamin and of his territory. The stone's value has been reportedly appraised at more than $200 million. And an investor is reportedly looking into compensating the owner, an anonymous elderly woman in South Africa. The intention is to bring the stone to Israel to donate to the future temple. Well, there's much dispute as to the exact identity of the 12 gemstones mentioned in the Hebrew Bible on the breastplate. There are up to 30 interpretations of the words concerning the various stones. So I dare not speculate, but just know that the Jewish people are conducting much research and they're diligently seeking discoveries so that a kosher breastplate may be reconstructed. And why are such items essential for temple worship in the future? And what does all of this information mean for Christians? On a number of occasions at the Temple Institute in Jerusalem, I've seen a replica of the high priest 24 karat gold crown that's engraved with the words, holiness unto the Lord. The study of the priestly garments of our Jewish elders, who are after all the foundation on which Christianity is laid, is vital and interesting and should inspire us to long for beauty and holiness in our churches by contrast to some of the casual and unholy dress and manner demonstrated in pulpits and performance stages in many churches today. Yet, the Bible demands holiness. The requirement is perfectly fulfilled in the Savior, Jesus. But his followers are also called to holy living. The dress of the ordinary priests was to be of fine white linen. The high priest garments were much more ornate and included an ephod designed much like an apron. The breastplate of judgment in which were to be placed the Urim and Tumim. A robe all of blue and embroidered along the hem with pomegranates and alternating with the pomegranates were to be little golden bells which would give a sound when the priest went into the holy place and when he came out. The mitre with its plate of gold engraved with holiness to the Lord was along with the blue of the robe of the ephod and that denoted the heavenly origin of the priest's office. The shining whiteness of the ordinary garments representing the purity required of those serving God. Gold and all of the diverse colors, the rich embroidery and gems, all of these bore testimony to many divine principles. According to the Temple Institute's website, for example, the priestly garments were made for holiness, for honor, as well as beauty. And beauty is a part of worship that shouldn't be neglected. While Christians have made much of St. Paul's excellent teaching in Ephesians chapter 6 about putting on the protective armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, 
the sword of the spirit, the gospel shoes, and so on and so forth. Interesting that the Jewish sages also have teachings about the deeper meaning of the high priest garments, and all of this preaches as well. For example, the tunic which covered most of the priest's body represented a covering or atonement for sins, for killing, for murder, for all sorts of things that need to be forgiven. The undergarments, the pants, represented atonement for sexual transgressions, the rabbis say. The turban worn, of course, on the head represented atonement for haughtiness and high-mindedness and pride. The high priest crown, holiness unto the Lord, taught sanctity and humility rather than arrogance in the presence of the Almighty. And of course, the breastplate made mediation for errors in judgment, improper thoughts, and evil speech. The robe representing a covering for the sin, and so on. The breastplate of judgment is a particularly important garment because on it were engraved twice all the names of the tribes of Israel. And try as some churches mistakenly do through replacement theology. We just can't divorce ourselves from our Jewish roots because, behold, you will discover these same tribal names of Israel written upon the twelve pearly gates in the New Jerusalem, as described in Revelation chapter 21. All of these symbolic items, the golden garments that the high priest wore every day and the white garments that he wore only on the Day of Atonement, these have great theological significance fulfilled in the life and atonement of King Messiah Jesus. The Bible says that all of our righteousness amounts to filthy rags, but Jesus as our high priest imputes to us his altogether righteousness. He clothes us with white garments and takes away our filth and sins. The New Testament, in fact, informs us that he's our high priest and he's currently seated at the right hand of God where he ever makes intercession for believers until he returns to Israel to rule the earth as Israel's Davidic Messiah, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. A full description of the breastplate is given twice in the book of Exodus, and from these descriptions, Bible commentators draw useful lessons for believers. First of all, the commentaries note that there are 12 stones in the breastplate, each of them bearing a different name, and each is a different gemstone. And this speaks of the wonderful variety amongst believers. We're not carbon copies of each other, and we are, in fact, uniquely created to walk in ordained path and to do exploits that God has planned for nobody else but our individual selves. The stones are not alike, yet they are all on the same breastplate, and that speaks of the truth of divine unity. We're all different, but we're all necessary and part of the same body of Messiah. Notice also that each stone was not a meaningless pebble, but each was a unique, very precious, costly gem. The commentaries remind us that God's people are costly to Him. The Lord has chosen each of us and has paid a tremendous price for the redeemed from the nations with the currency of His own sinless blood. The precious stones, which collectively are called Urim Fetumim, on the priestly breastplate, were chosen because they were the most lustrous, light emitters. 
Like the stars, they shine. And for that reason, gemstones have been called the stars of the earth. They are certainly Urim, lights. Tumim, on the other hand, signifies perfection. And from their brilliancy, the stones, their purity and uncommon beauty, these all symbolize perfection. Also, let's note where these precious stones were placed on the high priest, not on his head and not on the hem of his garment near his feet, but on his heart, teaching us that we are beloved of the Lord. Every believer is on the heart of God. Our names also, as it were, are upon his shoulder because he carries us. And the Bible tells us we are also engraved on the palms of his hands. That's found in Isaiah 49, 16. So the commentaries on the breastplate also point out that great pains were taken to secure the breastplate with chains and fastenings. This speaks of our security in the Lord. The typical and spiritual meaning of this for Christian believers is that Jesus is our great high priest. The names of all of his people are in his heart. Also, as a good shepherd, he never forgets one of his sheep, nor fails to love them and carry them when they stray. They are his jewels, his special treasures, and he values us because his father gave every believer to him. The Bible predicts the time is coming when the Lord will count up his jewels and none that the father has given him will be found missing. Well, as intriguing as recent ongoing prophetic archeological discoveries continue to be, the question that we want to address now is how do we receive divine guidance today? If we are to attain Urim Vetumum, lights and perfections in our consultations with the Almighty, we must approach God through our high priest, Jesus. You see, according to Hebrews 5, 4, Jesus is our high priest, chosen of God, and therefore he's our divinely appointed intercessor. The New Testament teaches that you no longer need to go through a human earthly priest, but God is to be approached through the one mediator that God has appointed, the man, the high priest, Messiah, Jesus. This divine protocol is to approach God through the merits of his son, Jesus. And Yeshua is, of course, his Hebrew name. The mysterious contents of the breastplate, lights and perfections, direct our thoughts to consider the heart of the Lord Jesus as containing all light, all perfection, grace, and truth. Because Colossians 2, 3 is an amazing verse that declares in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In that verse, the Apostle Paul is telling us that he found as a Jewish believer, Messiah Jesus, to be all the hidden treasures that false teachers sought elsewhere. In him are treasures of wisdom and knowledge to enrich our understanding and unsearchable mysteries. In Yeshua is light, and he manifested light. He said, I am the light of the world. He is the light of the glory of God. All fullness of light dwells within him. The high priest with the Urim and his breastplate became the channel by which God made manifest his counsels. And the Lord Jesus, in the fullness of time, as the great high priest, makes known the counsels and purposes of God. He is light.
and in him is no darkness. The mind and will of God is perfectly revealed to him. And then he communicates God's will to believers who are waiting and listening. The tumum, all perfections of truth and holiness, dwell within Jesus. All of this today points to the subject of divine guidance, one of my favorite topics. As we prayerfully daily read the Word of God, and it must be a daily activity to receive our daily bread, light will break on some passage that we are reading in the Bible. Understanding will just suddenly come. This happens for me almost on a daily basis, and such illumination is available for any seeker. When you prayerfully read God's Word, His Spirit communicates answers. The Spirit of God will illuminate our minds and hearts. So many times the inward illumination of the Lord's Spirit will grant revelations concerning direction that we need and the will of the Father in our lives. So in prayer, aim to make it a practice always to consult God first before you ask any human help. And try not to go to God to persuade Him for something that you want. Rather, let's be willing to consult God with an open mind to allow Him to write His will on our hearts. Yes, let's pay attention to dreams and visions, but test all things. Not only do we have a high priest in heaven, Jesus, who lived on earth and who understands all of our infirmities, but the Jewish fisherman, the Apostle Peter, also made an astounding statement in the New Testament in 1 Peter 2.9. He spoke of the priesthood belonging to every believer. Peter wrote, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. What does this mean? It means that as priests of God, we are children of God, led by the Spirit of God. We're clothed in the Lord's holiness and righteousness. A kingdom of priests, a holy nation, these phrases the Apostle Peter took directly, quoting Exodus 19.6, meaning that in God's empire on earth, every member of His universal church is a priest. That would also mean both male and female, as we are all members of the body of Messiah. Think about that. God's elect sit now, legally and positionally, with Messiah in the heavenly places, in His throne, and we reign with Him now. So every baptized believer is a priest of God, and we must act like it and do the works of the Lord. The Levitical priests in the Hebrew Bible were washed. This was symbolic of what Revelation 1.5 teaches, which says that Jesus has washed us in His own blood and has made us kings and priests, each one of us. Hallelujah! What a glorious high calling! But if you don't yet know the Lord personally, right now we invite you to receive the risen Lord Jesus into your heart, and He will enter and commune with you there giving you light, guidance, as often as you need it. Well, I hope this teaching is helpful to your spiritual walk. And for your further edification, we also publish a ministry magazine called Exploits with articles about healing, deliverance, Bible prophecy, and end-time events. There's also a 24-7 library of video teachings at our website, 
exploits.tv where you can also read about our anointed prayer convocations in Jerusalem. And we'd love to hear from you with comments and questions on the social media. We also invite you to download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your app store that has information about our videos, ebooks, and a Bible reading plan. Now, until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha.